You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. It's funny, the last time I, uh, I spoke was about, in Brighton, was about this time last year. Uh, and there was about the same number of people, I think. It's <laughs> that summertime where everybody's off doing stuff, but that's all right. Um, so in preparation for this evening, obviously I've been away on holiday, had a time to chillax, um, and it's been really, really lovely, um, but I missed uh, quite a few of the preachers, so I decided to catch up on the podcasts and um, listen back to what's been happening and what people have been sharing, um, and it's been really, really good, and um, had a really time, a great time of encouragement. Um, just by listening in the comfort of my own home, which is a really great thing to do. If you don't listen to the podcasts, um, it's really simple to just get online and listen to them. And you can just remind yourself of what God has, God has said on a Sunday in either our campuses, which is really cool. Um, so I was listening to the Brighton campuses. So I was listening to Tom, who preached uh, about three weeks ago, then David, and then Julian from last week. And um, something that I kind of caught from listening to those preachers was just this idea of um, God's plan, God's will. What's the plan of God? And um, that kind of just, that phrase, that message, um, even if it was just like a sentence in one of those preachers, um, kind of just stood out to me and I kept kind of hearing it while I was listening. And so um, this idea of God's plan, God's will, was something that uh, I kind of just kept thinking about. And it's like, well, that's great. And as Christians, that's something that we, we really believe in that God has a plan for our lives, and you often hear Jeremiah 29 quoted, um, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not to harm you. Harm you. And I've grown up with that phrase as well, um, a phrase, a Bible passage. Um, <laughs> uh, even my sister had it, ha- had it at her wedding. So it's kind of a, a popular phrase that I know. But um, it's it was something that, that I was thinking about this as well as but what kind of happens as a Christian when you're going through life and you come across a difficult situation and you kind of feel like you're not in God's will anymore? You're kind of you're not in His plan because I know that there are moments in life where life isn't going perfectly, where life is going a bit tricky. And I know I've thought to myself, and we'll come to that a bit later. But am I still in God's will? Am I still in His plan for my life? Because right now I'm kind of not feeling it. And this is kind of where I want to go this evening, is this idea of, are we still in God's will? What happens in those moments when we really don't feel like it? Okay, so to uh, to go down this track, we are going to look at a specific, or a couple of specific Bible stories. Um, and the first one is in 1 Samuel, chapter 1. And... Um, it's a story of a lady who happens to share the same name as me, which I think is a pretty cool name. Um, and actually, I was... <laughs> I uh, Part of the reason I was named Hannah um, was because her name is in the Bible, because she's in the Bible, which is pretty cool. Um, anyway, so the story is about Hannah, who is the mother of Samuel. Um, for those of you who don't know... Um, I'm just going to give a little bit of a summary of the story uh, before we draw out some points from it. So 
Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Um, and he also had another wife called Penina. And they were God-fearing people. Uh, they were Jews. And they really worshipped God. Um, they believed in him and um, were committed to him. Now, there was a problem in Hannah's life. As some of you know the story, you'll, you'll know this. But she couldn't have children. This was a problem for her. Uh, it was a problem because uh, in those days they didn't have things like IVF. Um, they didn't have, it's kind of not in that celebrity world of going and adopting a child from another country. Didn't really have airplanes in those days. So it was a bit of an issue not being able to have children because culturally to not have a child as a woman, there was a big stigma. Because as a woman in those days, um, having a child, bearing children was kind of your job. Um, your man went out to work, your husband did all that stuff. For As a woman, it was your job to have children. And so culturally, there was a stigma around her for not being able to bear children, do her job as a wife um, in those days. Biblically, it kind of was also a bit of a touchy point because, you see, God gave a, a command in Gen right back to Genesis, the first book. Genesis 1, verse 28. Uh, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And, of course, uh, them being Jews, they believed uh, all this, and this would have been passed down to them, that they, as a family, needed to be fruitful and multiply. And so not only culturally did she probably feel like she was letting everyone down, but biblically or um, in her faith, she felt like she was letting people down as well. So Hannah was in this bad situation. And uh, year on year, this the Bible tells us that this went on and on and on. Um, and we kind of come into the story and we come into it uh, after what we assume has been many years. The Bible doesn't tell us how many years it has been. And so I'm just going to read a little bit from um, chapter 1, verse 7. Um, because, you see, it wasn't just the fact that um, Hannah felt bad. It was rubbed in. And Penina, this other wife, we uh, read in just that one verse, it said, this went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not, she would not eat. So not only does Hannah feel bad herself, she's got her rival rubbing it in, like rubbing salt into the wound, which isn't nice at all. So I'm trying to paint a picture here for you that this situation right now is not good. That Hannah is feeling really, well, pretty low. That year after year, she still had no kids, and was feeling very, very low. And so she kind of reaches this point where we're going to come in on the story, which is uh, verse 9. I'm going to read uh, on the, the context of this verse is that the whole family has gone up to a place called Shiloh to worship, where they do every year they go up to worship in the temple um, and to make sacrifices. And this is what's happening now. Once they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So Hannah has basically had enough. And when I read it, I see 
she's upset and she is just pouring out her heart to God. She's just telling him the, the very thing that causes her the most pain. And she's just open with him and honest with him and says, God, please, just give me a son. I think with Hannah, we can see some similarities in our, in our own lives. You know, there's only so much that we can take as humans. She reaches this point, and I can just imagine her saying, surely, God, this cannot be in your plan. Surely, God, this can't be your will. I don't know about you, but I've had one of those situations in my life where uh, it was about two years ago now, and um, I was at home on Christmas break from my first year of Bible college, and there was a very difficult situation going on in my family between some close friends of ours. And um, it was really, really painful and really, really hurtful. And I just remember one night just lying on my bed and just crying and crying out to God and saying, God, surely this cannot be your plan. This can't be you orchestrated. This can't uh, be your will for, for all this to go on. Surely, God, this cannot be your plan. And so this is something that I, I don't know whether some of you have felt, but I know it. I have felt it in my life. And I think one of the things as well that Hannah says in verse 11 um, of that passage we just read, she kind of shouts out, Lord God Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me. So she's kind of calling out to God, hey God, you know what? Look at me. Look at my situation. She's trying to, to get his attention. We'll find out in just, just a bit later what happens because I'm going to just pause that story just there. Because it doesn't just happen in the Old Testament we find this, but there are situations in the New Testament. And I want to give another example of somebody else. You're kind of having three examples here tonight of situations, and we're going to see the application in just a bit for our lives. But there's another group of young guys in the New Testament, as I said, whom I was reminded of um, whilst listening to a preacher this week. Uh, and she reminded me of these people. And they were known as the disciples. And this group of young men had spent three years with Jesus. And they'd watched him in ministry. They'd spent time with him. Uh, they had been close and personal with him. And then this one day, they have to watch him be hurt, be uh, hated on, be crucified on a cross. Their friend, their teacher, their companion, they had to watch him die on a cross. And that was pretty tough for them. But I always think that it may be that moment they kind of didn't realize exactly what was going on. But it's sometimes it's the day after things happen that you realize what has happened. And I just imagine that day after for them, waking up and realizing, oh my goodness, yesterday Jesus died. Jesus hadn't risen from the cross on that day. He rose a couple of days later. But on that day after, that must have been a pretty bad day as they realized that Jesus had died. I think in that moment, they were probably asking, surely God, this cannot be in your plan. You've given us Jesus, who's helped us, who has done these amazing miracles. Surely God, this can't be in your plan to take him away. I want to go back 
to Hannah because I think there are some points that can help us in those moments of thinking and saying to God, I don't understand what you're doing right now. I think there are a couple of lessons that we can take from these stories that we can apply to our lives to help us in those seasons of, I'm not sure, God, what is going on? And the first thing about Hannah, we are going to be switching a little bit today. Um, one thing that kind of just struck me the whole way through reading her story, it doesn't just happen in a couple of verses, it happens over the, the first couple of chapters of First Samuel. The thing which, which struck me is that she remains faithful. Throughout the whole time, we don't know how many years it went on for. Just says year after year. She remains faithful. Her faith in God, it, it, never, it never wanes. It always remains constant. And that surprises me because often I think that's one of the first things that the, the doubts for us, you know, where we doubt our faith in God because when things go wrong, will we just blame him? But for Hannah, she remains faithful. Her faith remains solid and for me it just stood out as like one of the first things that in those times when we're questioning God what is going on to never question who he is to maybe question the situations around us but to never question who he is that he is still the creator that he is still our father that he still loves us that that never changes but to remain faithful in our following of uh, a second thing that I noticed in her reaction is that she prays. That in that situation, she honestly prays. She calls out to God and she just she just remembers and recognizes who is in control of it. It's when she prays, it's not as if she's saying that oh, is it possible, God, for you to do this? It's like, I know it's possible for you to do this, but can you do it for me? So she's not doubting if he can or cannot do it. She's just asking him to do it if it's his will. There's also a part which I didn't read out. Um, the verse 12 tells us that as she kept on praying to the Lord, um, Eli, the priest, he observed her mouth, and Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were not moving, and her voice was not heard by anybody around her. As well, when Hannah was praying, it wasn't out loud, it wasn't to others, but it was just between her and God. It's like she had this intimate moment when only God could hear her. And I think one of the important things for us to remember is that sometimes our problems don't need to be shouted out loud, that sometimes they just need to be between us and God, and we just need to give our burdens to him. And in that moment when she prays that prayer, I just feel her saying, God, I cannot take this burden anymore, and she just gives it to him. It's just between God and her. And God wants these moments with us when it's just between us and him when no one else matters in that moment but he just wants that quietness where you can just express your heart 
just between you and him. You see, I have this belief, can I say that? I think so. That God actually allows us to go through challenging situations. God allows us to um, go through circumstances for a reason, for a particular reason. And I believe with Hannah that God allowed her to go through this time so that she would come to fully depend on him. I don't know what she thought before. I don't know, uh, you know, what her relationship was like with God before. But I believe in that moment that she came to him, her faith in him just grew. And she really depended on him. And if you know the rest of the story is that she did conceive a, a son. and But it didn't stop there. God continued to bless her and she had five more children as well. But her faith in God grew from that situation, from that moment, which is a really hard concept to understand when you're in the middle of a situation. Because sometimes we feel we cannot see uh, what's going to happen at the end, what's going to, how is this going to finish? And I think it's tricky to realize this, but sometimes he takes us through situations to shape us and to change us and to grow us because he's not just interested in what's going on in our lives but in our lives but he's interested in who we are as people and our characters and he wants to shape that and to to make us into men and women of God but sometimes that takes some refining and some difficult situations that are challenging and it's not always nice but he is in control I think something that is going to help us in those moments is prayer, is really just being in communication with God. The third thing that I feel we can take from these stories is perspective. Uh, David uh, Dawes spoke, as I said, a couple of weeks ago uh, about God's master plan that God has this massive picture of what's happening from the beginning of time to the end. And for me, the disciples lost a bit of their perspective. I mean, we're told in John, the book of John, in chapter 16, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to die. But he also tells them that he's going to come back to life. John 16, verse 16, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. Then after a while you will see me. First hint. John 16, verse 20. He says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Verse 22. So with, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So he's kind of giving them these hints, and there are many other passages of scriptures I could read, other prophecies as well that in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, Jesus is telling them, hey, this isn't going to be for very long. This is only going to be for a short while. But still... The disciples are in that mood. And I know this because when uh, Mary and 
the other women from the tomb, after they had found out that Je- had been told that Jesus was alive, they went to the disciples and they said to the disciples, "Hey, Jesus is alive! He's risen from the from the dead." They didn't believe the women. So for me, it tells them that they'd kind of forgotten that they had doubted. And I think we have to try and remember in those moments of difficulty that God's promises are true, that he keeps his promises. And that if God has given you a promise for your life, in that moment of thinking, God, what is the plan in this situation? What are you doing? What is your will? We have to remind ourselves of those promises that he's given us. Maybe he hasn't given you a personal promise or you haven't had a prophecy from anyone or or from God. He has promises in this book. There are promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That his plans are to prosper us and not to harm us. That his promises are yes and amen. Some of you might be thinking, well, Hannah, that's easy for you to say. You haven't been through what I have been through. And that's probably true. I'm only 22. I haven't lived for that long. Um, But I believe that there are other Christians who probably have been through what you've been through. And for me, this, this is a positive thing. And you'll see why in just a second. If we flip back to 1 Samuel. Verse 17. Or even starting at from verse 15. Hannah is in the temple. She is praying. She's just expressed her heart. And then Eli, the priest of the temple, he sees her and he thinks, what is this woman doing? She's strange, and he comes up to her, and he he says, you know, kind of, what's going on? And she explains to him, from verse 15, I am a troubled, I am a woman, sorry, who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I am not drunk. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I am, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And then this is kind of the verse I want to focus on for this point, is that, Eli answered, he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Christians around you might know and have been through something you're going through. And I think the point in this story is that Hannah in her situation, God brings Eli along and he puts them in the same place at the same time. And Eli speaks words of encouragement over Hannah. He says, go in peace. May God grant you what you've asked for. He prays with her. He prays over her. And he comforts her in that moment. I think as Christians, we need other Christians around us. We need people who are going to encourage us, 
who are going to lift us up in those difficult times when we're calling out to God and saying, God, is this really your will? Is this really what you want for me? We need others around us who are going to lift us up and say, hey, you know what? Let's pray together. Let's believe together. Because sometimes that's, that helps you. That, that's easier for you. You know, you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. Not at all. But it sure is hard when you don't. Because it, there are people here who want to encourage you, who want to build you up. So I'm not preaching, you have to come to church, that would be wrong. But I'm saying, why not? And we want to encourage one another because we know life is challenging and it's not easy at all. So I kind of want to end this by reading a passage from a psalm. Psalms are great for encouragement, if I can find it. And it's Psalm 30. And we're going to read verses 1 to 5 and then read a bit later on. Psalm 30. Verse 1, it says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger only lasts a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Verse 11 and 12 says, You turn my wailing into dancing. You have removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God. I will praise you forever. And if there's just that one verse that I just want to stay with you, it's part of verse 5, which says that weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And you know what? That's one of God's promises. And in those times when we are questioning, God, what is your will? What is your plan? Because I don't see it right now. The promise that I want to declare over you is that weeping may last for the night, but joy, it comes in the morning. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.